I remind you that last week together we considered uh, in our series the ABCs of Reformed Theology M is for means of grace, means of grace, and we asked ourselves where and how does the Holy Spirit ordinarily work the mending of our hearts? Where is the Holy Spirit? Where do we expect him to be working upon our hearts? And the answer that we saw from scripture is that ordinarily he works within the context of the local church and through the so-called means of grace, that is the preaching of God's word and also the sacraments, which is holy baptism and also the Lord's Supper. But in, trans- in way of transition, what if the local church, or what if the church kind of in general and broad is failing in that task? What if the gospel is not being preached within the local church and the sacraments are not rightly administered to the people? What happens then? Well, as we know from the testimony of God's word in ancient Israel, when that happened, Well, God would send his prophets to his people in order to call them out uh, on their departure from God and to bring them back to the simplicity and purity of God's word. And in a way, that leads us to our lesson tonight. N is for the 95 Theses of Dr. Reverend Martin Luther of the 16th century because, in a way, God used him and and rose him or uh, called him up to be a prophet of sorts in his day. A bit of uh, information about Martin Luther. He was born in 1483, 1483, and he died in 1546. He became an Augustinian monk and was a professor of theology at the University of Wittenberg. Uh, and on the 31st of October, so about 500 years ago today, Luther prepared his 95 theses for disputation, particularly on the abuse of indulgences. And then he enclosed those um, theses in a letter that he sent to the Archbishop Albrecht, warning him that his preachers underneath him were misleading and endangering the souls of the people, and that he, as a doctor of theology, was bound to correct those errors and those preachers. And then uh, author, this author says, he may then or later have also fixed copies to the door of the castle of the church in Wittenberg to initiate an academic disputation. However, that fact, that, that fact that we all like to repeat, that he nailed uh, those theses upon the door is a disputed historical fact. But either way, the recipients of that letter at once and probably without Luther's permission, published widely the 95 Theses and those printed editions quickly spread like a wildfire among uh, the different places and cities of Germany. And the famous indulgence preacher, Johann Tetzel, was especially angry at this and he called for Luther's blood, literally. And so he he immediately stirred up quite a bit of controversy in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, when anyone looks at Luther's life and writings, they will discover that Luther had a tongue on him, right? And he wasn't afraid to use that tongue. Uh, As Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 
while Luther did use his tongue a lot and had many words and he, uh, well, transgression was not lacking with Luther either. He did not always restrain his tongue. And so that was true for Luther. And at times he was indeed brash and vulgar in his use of language. Uh, for example, you can find, and I don't particularly recommend it, although it is, it is quite funny, uh, you can find a website that's very simple where there is a button on there that says, insult me again, and it will refresh and give you another brilliantly vulgar insult from Martin Luther in one of his writings, and he has plenty to spare. Um, so if you're in need of an insult, just find that website and click away. And most are too vulgar to repeat, uh, but here is one just for example. Uh, it was hard for me to find one that I could could, could repeat here tonight. Against one of his opponents, Luther wrote this. You are an excellent person, as skillful, clever, and versed in Holy Scripture as a cow in a walnut tree, or a sow on a harp. So there you go. <laughs> There's Luther for you. Uh, so he was vulgar and at times crude. Nevertheless, I think we recognize and can recognize that God still used him and his words mightily in the Reformation. After all, God has and still can speak through donkeys, right? As, as we read in the Old Testament. And so Luther was in some ways, I think, like an Old Testament prophet who was called to speak to God's people, to speak against the religious leaders in particular, against their corruption and idolatrous ways and calling them to repent and return to God's word. So too, Luther and the reformers rose up to speak against the church's corruption, calling her back to the purity and simplicity of God's word. And with his 95 theses there in uh, 1517, Luther was boldly indicting the religious leaders of the day for all of their corruption, and in particular for their conspiracy to empty the pocketbooks of the poor Christian people under their authority. Uh, in particular, Luther was formally accusing the Pope and others for commissioning the selling of indulgences, which were uh, literal documents of pardon. Uh, and they did that in order to finance things like the building of St. Peter's in Rome and also to finance their own luxurious life that they led. And in a way, uh, Luther with his 95 Theses is saying, Your Honor, I object to these things, including you, your most excellent fraud, the Pope. Uh, that's how I would kind of summarize what he's saying through his theses here. And in a way, it reminds me of the prophet Isaiah who said in Isaiah chapter 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Why does that remind me of Luther? Well, Luther also, as we already saw, he had unclean lips. And it seems that that was sort of the, the common practice of the day. Uh, it was a medieval practice sort of of just throwing insults back and forth among each other. It was commonplace in the medieval ages. And yet, like Isaiah, it seems that God was pleased to use him. And Luther had a kind of prophetic voice about him. We read in 2 Kings 17.13 about 
the kind of ministry that typically the prophets had in the Old Testament with Israel. It says this, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. And so we see this in part, you know, sometimes we think of the prophets as uh, wrongly in, in boxing them in the idea that they're only speaking about future things that will happen. But a lot of the times the prophets had the task of kind of lawyers bringing accusations against God's people for their corruption, and particularly the religious leaders. And so in that way, Luther had a very prophetic voice. And that's what we see beginning, that voice, that prophetic voice kind of booming uh, out with the 95 Theses of Luther. And the first thing I want us to consider here uh, briefly is my Fab Five of the 95 Theses. So my, my, fa my favorite top five uh, that I picked of the 95 Theses. And I rec recommend that you go, go and read all of them. They're, they're edifying and, and encouraging to read. The first one is this, it's number one, where Luther says, Oh, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, uh, penitentia agite, or in other words, repent, he willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. What Luther was getting at in that uh, is that often, or what had come to happen in the Roman Catholic Church is because of that Latin translation of, uh, of repentance, uh, they derived the practice of do penance. And so instead of telling people to repent, uh, they would say do penance, and it kind of became that sacrament in the church. But Luther is saying, is it no, repentance is the way of life as believers. Um, we we always constantly need to be repenting of our ways and seeking the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's something that's ongoing and that is relevant for us today just as much as it was for Luther in his day. Even as that other Latin phrase that sometimes we use is good and appropriate, semper reformando, always reforming, always reforming. And we haven't fully arrived, uh, loved ones. Uh, as reformed Christians, we haven't fully arrived. We are in constant need of renewal and reformation in our thinking, in our desiring, always needing to return to God's word to renew our minds time and time again. And so that's the first of the five that I find very, uh, very good and edifying. The second is 25, 25, uh, his thesis 25, where he says, the power which the Pope has in a general way is just like the power which any bishop or curate has in a special way within his own diocese or parish. So why do I like this one? Well, Luther cleverly here is leveling the inflated power of the Pope to the very same status of any ordained minister or pastor over his parish. He's saying he has no greater power or authority than a lowly pastor in his parish over his people. And what is that power that any pastor has, any minister has, it is the power of the gospel, the preached word of God. And so in that way, Luther cleverly is leveling the Pope down with the rest of the lowly ministers in their parishes. Okay, so that was the second one. The third one is this, uh, 36, 
Thesis 36, where he says, Every truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without letters of pardon. Uh, This is simple but beautiful and important that we do not need to purchase letters of pardon in order to receive God's forgiveness. We receive the full remission of all our sins and its penalty by faith alone in Christ alone. And it is, as it was in the day of Luther, a shame for anyone to sell Christ's blood, so to speak, for the forgiveness of sins, the very blood of Christ which he has shed to freely give to all who would believe in him. And so that was another powerful one. Another, the fourth one is 62. 62, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. The true treasure of the church is the holy gospel. This is This was true in Luther's day, and it's true always. It's true today as well. The gospel of the glory and grace of God is our greatest treasure, and that's what we are to hold on to and ever cling to as a people, and also to preach and share with others, is the holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. And lastly, the fifth one is this, and it's a bit confusing at first, but there's a commentary that's helpful. He says that, Towards the end, 93, 93, blessed be all those prophets who say to the people of Christ, cross, cross, and there is no cross. So a commentator on this, he writes, in a letter to Michael Dressel, Luther had written, it is not that man, therefore, whom no one disturbs, who has peace, which is indeed the peace of the world, but he whom all men and all things harass and who yet bears all quietly with joy. You say with Israel, peace, peace, and there is no peace. Say rather with Christ, cross, cross, and there is no cross. For the cross ceases to be a cross as soon as you say joyfully, blessed cross, there is no tree like you. And so in this, he's showing the the irony of the gospel that that through the cross of Christ, a symbol of great suffering and pain, it is through the suffering of Christ that we find our greatest blessing. And indeed, you know, we preach the cross of Christ so that others see and receive the blessing of Christ and the peace that he won for us by becoming a curse for us. And because of Christ's cross, we do not have to bear ultimately God's judgments Uh, We do not have to hang upon the cross accursed of God because he hung or was hanged there for us. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we can say, blessed cross, there is no tree like you. Because it is through the cross of Christ that we receive that full blessing of God. So there, there they are, my favorite, my fab five of the 95. Now let me ask this question. What would be five theses that we should nail upon our church here in Ontario? Yes, I asked that question, went there. It's easy to say, you know, what would be, the, what would be a 95 thesis or five uh, indictments that we'd raise against the evangelical church of today, right? That's easy enough for us to say. Uh, it's not a bad question either. But what is more difficult to say is 
perhaps you know, the next level, next layer, well, what, what, what are five things that the URCNA needs to hear today to reform and renew her ways? And even more piercing into the heart is to ask that question, what, what five things do we need to hear as a local congregation? Now, I don't presume tonight to have a list for us, but I do want you to think about it. Pray about it, and if you want, write out a list of five things that you think we as a church can improve upon. That is a scary thing for me to ask you to consider, but if you so dare, prayerfully write them out and send them my way, and maybe I can consider them in the future as a kind of sermon series for us as a church. Okay. So now the second point briefly here. Uh, so we looked at the Fab Five or the 95. Now I want us to consider briefly the tactfulness of Luther in his logical and imaginative ridicule of the false teaching around him. Uh, as we've already considered, when you read Luther, you kind of see and pick up that he takes the erroneous, the false ideas and policies of the church and he draws out the ridiculous flaws in them. And then he states the biblical truth, and he does that with vivid imagery. And usually, well, he's not being a bully, at least not all the time. He's kind of doing uh, judo, as I understand it, using the, own, the very lies and attacks of his opponents against themselves, right? And so we should ask ourselves, what, how can we do that today? with our culture? How can we kind of use that same tactfulness of logic and imaginative ridicule to learn how to pick out the lies that surround us in our culture and then vividly reveal the emperor with his clothes off, so to speak, right? To show how flawed and ridiculous the beliefs of people are who have departed from God's word. And unlike Luther, Luther uh, we ought to be more respectful uh, as we reveal those flaws and remove the roof, right? Uh, as Francis Schaeffer speaks about, uh, of those beliefs to show how ridiculous and inconsistent the beliefs of those are who reject God and his truth. And this is what the prophets like Isaiah did, right? Consider again Isaiah 1, 2 through 3. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared up and brought up but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This vivid imagery that we see in the prophets like Isaiah that also you know, Luther picked up on and used himself of calling out God's people and showing their evil ways. Or again in Isaiah 5, 20 to 23, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. We see all throughout the prophets this kind of language of, of pinpointing the injustices and the evil ways of the people and calling them to repent and return to God. In his word. And so there's a, there's a sense in which we can learn from a Luther along with learning with, from the prophets that tactfulness of using logic but also imagine, imaginative language, vivid imagery to help see, people see how flawed their thinking and beliefs are. 
Now, thirdly, I want us to consider the inspiration of Luther's example. Why? Why are we so fascinated with the life of Martin Luther? Why is he so inspiring to us? Well, it, he shows us courage, right? In the face of fear of public humiliation and even death, he showed also the wit of, an, of a revolutionary. He had a wit about him. And he changed the world in a sense. And it shows us also love for God and his word and also love for people, for God's people, even if that means that others will hate us for it. Now, why are these qualities so great? Why are they so admirable and inspiring? It's because they are the truth that point to the greater reformer of God's people, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Right? As Christians, we love to hear the good stories about Luther and Calvin and Augustine. We love even more the stories about the Apostle Paul and King David and Moses in the Bible. And why? Because we love the Christ that we see in them and in their lives. We love Jesus Christ and we love to see his qualities on display in the lives of those who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. That is why we are so inspired by Luther. Jesus, remember, he stood up, stood up to the religious authorities, drawing out their flaws in their thinking and their lies and vividly portraying through his parables and teachings the truth of God's word, showing them to be frauds, right? In the same way as Luther, but far better than that foul-mouthed German preacher, Jesus turned the whole world upside down by his authoritative teaching and his life that demonstrated the veracity of everything that he said. So Luther, by contrast, he was a sinner. And we should make that known. He would want us to make that known, right? He was a sinner often like us who did not live according to all that he taught and said. By contrast, Jesus showed us the very love of God by offering himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, receiving the unjust hatred of man on his body and the cross through the spit and lashes and nails and also bearing the full righteous anger of God towards sinners in his soul. And he did this in love for us, his neighbors, that he now calls his friends and brothers. Luther's love for God and neighbor, admirable though it was, nonetheless was impure and defiled. He was still learning, like us, not to love sin, but instead to love God above all else and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But Christ's love was perfect and pure in every way for us. And so, when we consider the inspiration of lives like Luther, we see, in fact, as Christians, that it is Christ whom we love. Also, in anything in life, when we find ourselves, for instance, in awe of the beauty of a sunset, well, God is calling us to stare in awe of him, to behold the creator of that sunset. When you find yourself caught up in joy as you read stories about heroes and their adventures in 
fiction novels, in those heroes that are in pursuit of justice, truth, and glory. Well, God is calling us to be caught up with joy in the story of Jesus Christ because it is a story that came, became true for us. And when you are filled with peace and comfort while talking about God and his world uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ, it is Christ himself who is at present among us by his spirit there calming and comforting us. We see that ultimately, loved ones, Christians, it is Christ whom your heart longs to love. And so uh, may we consider that and go and love him all the more, for he has loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. Let's close there. Father God, we thank you for this uh, brief time of consideration as we consider the prophetic ministry of your prophets of old, but also the prophets that you have raised up in church history, uh, such as Luther. And yet, Lord, we recognize that just as the prophets of old, uh, like Isaiah, with unclean lips, that Luther and all the other reformers were sinners as well. Their lives are inspiring to us, uh, and we thank you for what you've done through them, but ultimately, we recognize that our hearts long to love Christ and we, we enjoy their stories because we see the Christ in them that you have worked in their hearts and their lives by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we, we long to see uh, Christ, in a sense, manifested through your Spirit here among us in our love and fellowship to and for one another. And we ask, Lord, that you would stir us up uh, to imitate these qualities that are most natural to Christ himself, that we too would reflect the nature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer and Reformer of God's people. And so, Lord, uh, may you impress upon our hearts your love for us, and may that compel us to love you all the more and to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.